to Everyday Theology, where we don't tell you what to believe or why to believe it, but rather explore our Christian beliefs and why they matter for us in relation to God, to creation, and to others. My name is Aaron Ross. Welcome back to Everyday Theology. Uh, With me today is a guest who has almost made every season now. It's kind of one of those things where I just text him because I know he'll say yes. Makes it easy (laughs) on me. Uh, So I'm super, but I'm always glad to have him. So it's not like a, you're not the bottom choice. I promise you that, Rick. Uh, You need a filler? Call on Rick. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's like the filler episodes of Friends. It's uh, Rick Waterholm, yeah. We got to get to the end of the season where it matters. I don't know why I just said Friends because this is a hot take. I actually think it's a terrible show. I watched it through one time and I was like, yeah. I never want to see that again. It's a th- that's a throwback too. That's quite a throwback. It is. Yeah. But Seinfeld it, is my throwback and I, it's still the greatest show ever made. <laughs> a show about nothing. It's absolutely it's what best. you want when you're watching TV is <laughs> about nothing. Um, Hey, so thanks for being here. Um, for the audience, if you've, if you've not engaged with Rick's work before, uh, I encourage you to go back, see other podcasts with him. Rick is a professor of Old Testament mm-hmm. at yep. um, AGTS, somebody's got Theological Seminary, in uh, the Holy Land. Uh, I can't even remember where it's called. <laughs> Springfield, Missouri. There it is, Springfield, Missouri, <laughs> the Holy Land for the AG peoples. Uh, yeah. Uh, so again, Rick, thanks for being here, man. Thanks for accepting my text and not having blocked me yet. <laughs> Oh, it's coming. It is coming, buddy. I guess you can't really, considering we're now now fancy canon theologians yeah. of our Anglican mission. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and you're like heading up that group. So, yeah, helping helping give direction and pastoral care and all of that. We'll see what we produce. We're gonna produce some stuff together. So we will be on this podcast. Yeah, and our uh, our. Uh, commiserating sessions that we do together, you know? Um, Cool. Well, today we're going to talk about, so I want to preface this a little bit because typically for anyone who has, um, anyone who's listened to the podcast before, I really am intentional that when talking with, talking with most guests, especially guests who I don't know, I'm not going to argue or push back because that's not my job. Um, I'm here to have conversations and hear what people are working on and what they're working on and why it's important and so on and so forth. But every so often, there's things that are said that I go, man, if I really just wanted to derail my own podcast, I would stop it and say, oh no, like maybe we shouldn't do this, right? And Recently, and I say recently, I don't even know how long ago it was, there was a podcast that I've actually had people reach out to me and go, whoa, I can't believe you more or less let someone kind of give their take on numerology, uh, scriptural numerology. In fact, Rick, I think you were one of the people who might have texted me I that. was one of the That's people. That's right. You were one of the people. <laughs> I was one uh, of the people. Yeah. And 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 if you listen to that podcast, you can kind of tell my inside take where there was a little bit where I was like, huh, like, that's interesting. (laughs) But really what I was saying is, wow, I totally disagree right now, Mm -hmm. right? But it's hard to say that in the moment. And again, I don't typically do this, especially not naming the podcast or anything, just because that's not the point. What Mm -hmm. the point is, 
for this conversation is to just maybe dispel some of the conversation on quote unquote numerology, what it is, why it's suspect, why it's not really biblical scholarship and other issues that kind of go along with the way that we think about scripture, the way that we think about translations, the way we think about these numbers uh, and things that people have made claims of scripture for a long time. So that's the backdrop. That's why we're having this conversation. Just to be honest, clear the air. Uh, and if you don't know what podcast I'm talking about, maybe you'll go back and you'll listen to like five <laughs> other podcasts. Great. Right. Yeah, there we go. Uh, but Rick, I'm going to start here and just go numerology for those who don't know the term. They might know the concept, but not the term. What is it? What are we talking about when we say this term numerology? Yeah, numerology is basically giving usually a hidden or uh, mystical value to a number uh, that occurs in scripture. Uh, that's what we're talking about. Um, so biblical text may use a number in a particular way that has some spiritual significance. And the issue is that there are indeed numbers used that way that have some sort of theological significance, spiritual significance. Um, particularly, you look at a book like the Revelation. Right. right? And where numbers are even given value, right, to refer to some group, a collective group, or, um, you know, the, the use of sevens, right, this repetition of sevens. Yeah. Uh, cycles of sevens. Um which the, maybe the I'll throw out a, if, weird. They they want they find numbers everywhere and they try and make mystical meanings of numbers everywhere. And for, that fails to recognize how numbers are used. For a small plug, and this is just a plug, uh, for someone that I'm not I don't have any affiliation with. If you're if you're interested about that kind of like repetition of seven, actually the uh, Bible project did really, really that's called a Bible project? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah really good videos on the book of revelation talking about those cycles of seven i think in really helpful ways maybe you're, you disagree with me rick but i don't think maybe you would i don't know no, uh, that, yeah they, they've done a great job on it but but there's it really helps you understand if this is new for you i would say finish this podcast and then go check out their their youtube channel and see where they talk about that because that does make sense right that's intentional use of repetition of numbers right you know this 666 nero caesar Domitian, you know call back like it it's it's intentional use of length of numbers but not in a mystical sense right not in like a hidden reveal this is going to change your life thing yeah right it's, it's one of those you know it's just one of those weird things because yeah, the, the numbers are intentionally treated as mystery in the Revelation. For instance, that 666, there's 666. It's not even 666, right. right? which is very different than 666, um, which in, you know, we, there's the whole manuscript tradition, 616, uh, a few yeah. manuscripts that hold that tradition, which fits a little bit better with uh, Nero Caesar. But that the, the, you know, some of them are described in that way in the revelation. But then, you know, you get folks who suddenly they want to carry that elsewhere. Right. And uh, um, they, they start finding hidden meanings in, you know, the numbers of baskets left over. Um, for the oh, that's what it was. 5, right. I couldn't even 4, remember. 000. Yeah. You know, seven baskets and 12 baskets um, where it represents something. Well, 
I mean, there are different terms as well for baskets, uh, depending on the gospel tradition we're talking about. One is actually a smaller basket. So I always imagine the 12, because every one of those disciples walked away with a backpack full of fish sandwiches, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, whereas the seven, it's a, a term used for larger baskets. Is it, does it have some secret hidden meaning? Well, the text doesn't even suggest that. So when we try and find that, as opposed to the revelation that offers for us, for instance, uses that are intentionally contextualized, framed right. as holding this other representational meaning, it, it doesn't function that way, for instance, in those contexts. So that, that's where taking care in that matters. Um, but yeah, maybe just get weird. Maybe explain that a little bit. When so when you're talking about the the text gives indication of hey, pay attention to this repetition of number, or hey, pay attention to the meaning of this number versus when the text doesn't give because you know, we you say indication, mm -hmm. we talk about indication, and oftentimes those indications are in original languages that are mm -hmm. lost on us in our translations, right? So how can how can someone who's reading scripture get a sense of oh here's an indication that this is nothing more than just a number or nothing more than than actually just kind of telling of the story and helping yeah us a reporting of the story and in yeah. the conscious or the retelling of the story here's the number um, yeah it's it's not always it's not always totally clear um, but a text like the Revelation where you know, refers to the seven candles and then says, well, these seven candles are, or lamps are actually the seven churches. Hmm, so it's, right. it's maybe less, less about that number seven per se, but then that, that seven cycle continues on, right? The seven messages, seven churches, there's seven angels connected to each of you know, right. uh, There's some sort of literary connection there. Um, but you, you have other things like um, the resurrection story in the gospel of John, um, there's a very, very precise number of fish that John's account reports that they caught. And it, <laughs> there are, you read through some of the church fathers, they found significance for why that specific number. <laughs> yeah. um, one of the thoughts that I had in reading it, well, well, I mean, I found, I, I did, this was a while back. I got off on like a, I was preaching through John and I was fascinated by the interpretive twists and turns people made up about this strange number of a massive amount of fish and then i was thinking about it i was like you know what it's a really good fishing story and <laughs> sometimes you just remember right you sometimes you just remember and if we're attributing this to that that old apostle still in his old age he's remembering now maybe there's hidden spiritual significance to it john doesn't hint at that he just gives the number so any any attempt at, at a context is fabricating another context to read either as the backdrop to John's use, right? Or it's just somehow he remembers this number in the telling of the story. Um, yeah, and in a sense of potentially even just, look, this is a ton of fish. Yeah. And we counted them, and here is the, you know what I mean? Like, it yeah. it doesn't have to be, uh, well, this number's connected to, I don't know. Again, some, I, maybe tell us a, 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 some, right? I mean, 
I've heard plenty, I'm sure you've heard plenty of people who have taken some numbers and taken them into wild, wild ways. But maybe give some examples that you've heard that you've just kind of been shocked by maybe. Yeah, so a lot of times, so let me, let me preface this. It, it used to be in certain church traditions, including my own, um, but certain church traditions that our Bible institutes, um, I don't know once they became Bible colleges how many of them carried this, but our Bible institutes, many of them had courses in numerology, a whole mm. course, so that your oh, degree was foundational. Your biblical studies pastoral degree was built on the study of numerology. So that, that's how widely accepted it was in certain circles. Um, I, I don't know of any schools still offering courses in numerology, though maybe there are. Um, so, so it was almost perceived as like the spiritual, foundational, biblical hermeneutic um, to find the meanings of numbers. Okay, so, um, so oftentimes this, this is this is kind of like those base ones. Whenever I start talking about numbers from a specific text having meaning, I'll immediately have some student who will go, "Oh, yeah." Just like six is the number of man and seven is the number of God. I'm like, well, it is when it is. <laughs> right, right. right? Yeah. The context determines how it's being used. There's nothing inherently God about seven. There's nothing inherently human about six. Um, so, you know, you, you, have, you have certain cycles that run of six. So... When when there's a counting off of six, that doesn't mean it's automatically human and you're just waiting to get to seven. Or you, you've maybe also heard the, the use of 10. 10 is automatically completion, right? Yeah. I, I don't know if you've right. ever heard that that notion. Um, as if any I've not heard that one with occurs, 10, to be honest. Yeah if, yeah. if 10 ever occurs, it's completion. Well, why? Why would 10 be completion? Um, it can function that way in a specific context. It but context determines meaning. Meaning right. is inherent to the numbers or to any word. Words have meaning only in context. Same yeah. for numbers. Yeah, you know, probably one of the weirdest ones I ever heard, and this is taking it into like strange directions, right? Mm -hmm. uh, funny I'm wearing this hat. I always seem to wear my Formula One hats. But, you know, the Mercedes ones, they've got the little monster symbol, right? under. That's one of their Bob, sponsors. Bob, Bob, Bob. Right. Yeah. And you, I'm sure you remember this one because this Monster one, like <clears throat> if you were at all connected in some kind of like church circle, there was probably this video passed around to you of a lady who is trying to make the claim that because the monster energy drink symbol looks like seven or three vase, this Hebrew letter yeah, va, vase, which is yeah. the sixth letter in the Hebrew alphabet attached to the letter six because it looks like this monster energy drink is the antichrist right like yeah, it gets the into unleash the beast unleash baby. the beast it's <laughs> right there was... in the it's right there on the can man <laughs> unleash the antichrist in all of us dear monster energy <laughs> oh, drink right man. but that's the kind of places that it takes into weird takes us into yeah. weird spaces because it's with with scripture it's it's so easy to find whatever meaning you want to find right it's the same with in some sense these people who have over and over and over again tried to predict some kind of pre uh well you know dispensational eschatological functions right here's when jesus is coming back 
this is when it's happening because I've looked at all these numbers. I've looked at Daniel. I figured it all out. And yeah, I know it says no one knows the time, but it's right there. So, you know, maybe we can know, right? Like it, these, this, this like use of numbers in, in scripture is, is almost like a, it's not almost like it is a distraction towards actually reading the text for the narrative and, and understanding how that narrative affects us and changes us versus trying to say it's, here's the irony. Maybe this is the biggest irony to me. I wasn't allowed to watch Harry Potter as a kid. I couldn't read the books, couldn't watch it. Right. Because someone somewhere, some focus on the family guy somewhere said that if you read the books or watch the movies, you're teaching your kids how to do witchcraft, Mm. you can incantations, secret spells, yada, yada, yada. So don't do it. But then the turnaround was so many people in the church were looking at scripture the exact same way. Mm. If you just say these phrases, if you just pray these words, if you just do these things, or here's the secrets behind the text that if you could just find them, right? You are, you're going to have this secret. Not it's, it's Gnostic. It's Harry Potter. It's all this weird stuff meshed all together because we're so desperate sometimes as Christians to use scripture as a, not as a secret weapon, but as kind of like this, like, I don't even know the right word to put to this, Rick. Like the thing in our court that that we know that other people don't, and it gives us power to do it. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. So here I go on a long diatribe of uh, the Bible being a Gnostic Harry Potter spell book, and I go to ask Rick, "Does that make sense?" And all I ha- saw was Rick's beautiful face just <laughs> smiling at me for about two minutes until he disappeared. So. Uh, Rick, does that make sense? <laughs> sure. Yes. Whatever it was you were saying. <laughs> ah. All right. Not going back now. All right. Uh, so anyways. Yeah. But so you're, you're exactly right. Like the, that hidden spiritual meaning, right? Um, I mean, uh, you, in reading some of the early reports, uh, for instance, at Azusa Street, interestingly enough, right? The revivals happening at Azusa Street, early 1900s, um, is that they were always needing some new spiritual insight. Like there were folks that were driven by this. And that's still true. I think it's always kind of been true, but certain sectors of the church feed that a little bit more. Yeah. And certainly within Pentecostalism. Um, but, you know, I, I would say a lot of folks just contend towards forms of mysticism. Um, I mean, it's, it's how they treat, um, for instance, the Hebrew language as mystical. Yeah. So this weird divine like descended from heaven. So there's all these secret meanings um, that has a long tradition. And so connected with that is this idea of number also uh, doing that. Um, so I, I don't, I think those things may actually be somewhat connected hmm. and may, maybe some of that is borne out by the fact that numbers didn't exist as independent symbols. Yeah. So the, the woman and the monster drink, Vav, 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 um, she's right that Vav was the number for six, but that's only if you're counting. That's not if 
like there were actually ways of saying the number six and that's it's not saying bob <laughs> right uh further it's not 666 it's 666 which is again another reason why the the, the video is ridiculous but it sounds crazy like it's true hebrew used for for uh numerals used alphabetic letters to represent it because there was no separate symbol i mean um the the symbols we use today are arabic right our numbers were sort of um i think was maybe like 1400 something like that it's it's not all that long ago that um owing to islamic influence in europe <laughs> that <laughs> that numbers became an independent thing without using like the the latin numerals right right um so it's just easier to calculate things with independent symbols yeah so yeah, you know, and and that's the thing it's 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 talking about numerology in trying to get us away from that whether it's gnostic secret knowledge kind mm -hmm. of thought process that the bible has hidden meaning if we're just looking hard enough for it which just takes us into weird spaces uh, and I don't mean just learning the ancient context. I mean, like, hidden mysteries, right? Deeper meanings, deeper yeah. levels to it that we can find that inherently moves us actually away from being affected and changed by Scripture yeah. in good and healthy ways. And in our kind of deep, often desire to be affected and changed by Scripture in good and healthy ways. We end up doing harm to our own, our own desire, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Part of that is I don't know. Any other thoughts on, on numerology? I mean, it's kind of a hard because oh, we're not man. doing a whole I, course on yeah, it. Yeah, no. Uh, I, I mean, I've got all sorts of thoughts on it. It, it. it does seem to come up often enough again um, because you you talk about numbers or you know, um, you, where things are symbolically representing other things. Right, teaching biblical studies, I always encounter this. Or teaching Hebrew, you know, as as someone who teaches the languages, um, people people will make it about the numbers and numbers representing things, and sometimes they do. So they're right. Sometimes they do, but it's the failure to appreciate context that actually determine meaning. Hmm, right. Yeah. But you're right. Like uh, people will seek these weird hidden things. I don't know if you remember. There was a couple of books that came out. I'm spacing the fellow's name. Michael, I think something or other. Uh, the Bible Code and the Bible Code Two. Oh yeah, maybe twenty-ish years ago. Yeah, like that. I, probably even um, longer. It's probably the nineties because yeah. I remember the computer app that you could type yeah, in. The computer app. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, basically, where he made a crossword puzzle out yeah. of Hebrew of the Torah, and then found ways of connecting letters, drawing patterns by charting them all out, just removing spaces between words, anything like this, and just creating a giant map, as it were, of Torah script. And, uh, oh, well, he found all sorts of hidden prophecies. Well, I was like, our problem is we're so consumed by the secret and the hidden that we forget to obey and be conformed to the blatant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and we imagine this spiritual is far more exciting. It's sexy, man. It's way sexier than just being a good person, a righteous person. Well, and, and, and isn't that the case that there's, I don't know, there's so many people who have kind of made their quote unquote 
ministries and living therefore out of the sexy of the hidden right like mm. if yeah. you just Quite follow me right it's it's so much again it's not sexy to say love your neighbor take care right. of the poor and visit those in prison and x y and z the, just the very blatant things that jesus says it's much easier to find your hidden agenda inside right. of scripture or find the person that affirms your biases because of some kind of hidden thing in scripture i yeah i don't even know what to say to that other than i don't know what do we do rick as a, a canon theologian, uh, <laughs> I'm still having fun with that for the moment. But as much as it is, it is true. You know, the the idea of of that kind of person is to help pastors, leaders of the church, to to think about things in theological ways and spiritual ways, healthy ways. What would you say to someone to say, okay, look, yeah, we're not going to context is everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Find context. But what do we do when we engage with someone who is just bound by numerology or bound by these thought processes that these things exist? What do we do? How do we kind of help people kind of see, hey, you're missing the beauty of scripture for a desire of something that's not there? Yeah. And and, and I mean, it, even even addressing the issue becomes a context issue. Right. So if it's somebody who's in the Sunday school class that I help lead, you know, the older folks, um, I think I'm the junior of everybody by maybe a good 20 years. Hmm. Um, so I, and, and I'm, I mean, I'm very young, so they're clearly not that old, <laughs> but, uh, that, that, you know, so that, that context, that small group Sunday school, which I have addressed some of those things occasionally, they come up and so I'm like, okay, let's talk about this. What is this actually saying? Versus, you know, sometimes you don't even hear that, that people are holding on to that. They're the folks sitting in the pew, you know, if you're a preaching, teaching pastor yeah. or something like that, you just don't even hear it. Um, versus, you know, the YouTuber that um, they're blasting this kind of stuff. And maybe you got some folks that you know who are watching it and they send it, they send you links. I get stuff sent to me, dude, all the time. Oh yeah. Craziest stuff. Um, and people are like, what do you think about this? And I'm like, okay, well, and when they've invited that conversation, depending on where they're at with stuff, I, I address it. But most always I would say, okay, let's go actually look at the text of scripture. Let's just, let's just, spend our time meditating on this text of scripture and see what it actually says. And um, is it to reveal the, some secret hidden meaning to this number, or is this something in this text that God is compelling us to, conforming us to, that mm. has nothing to do with this number, that the number plays a role um, because it's a word or it's a, a figure in the text. Right. It's, it's not what we're focused on. Yeah. People really do like that hidden um, I think, you know, it it shows itself even in ways that we, we have this weird phenomenon going on um, huh, owing to some some of the good scholarship by Michael Heiser, a person like Michael Heiser. Yeah, um, I, I appreciated his work, his exposure to stuff. But I'm going to be honest with you. I've found that uh, people have gotten just strangely obsessed, even more so with ideas of the Nephilim sons of God, um, divine counsel. Um, hmm. Some of the stuff that that 
more common knowledge among Old Testament scholars, but it just goes weird. It goes really, really weird. Yeah. Um, methods of reading to find secret hidden things about the sons of God or spirit beings. We, we already don't know what to do with these things in scripture. And it creates this newer system that attempts to make it forefronted when it's not forefronted in the text. Yeah. It's not forefronted. It, nor is it the point. Nor is it right? the point. And there it, are alternate readings that that lend themselves away from that. So we, we we shouldn't be too quick to jump on these. Well, and it's, yeah, basically the answer is don't listen to podcasters. <laughs> That's the idea. Shut this podcast off. Right, yeah. Stop listening. We're just two crackpots who got nothing better to do with our time at, uh, well, thanks to you, everyone knows what time it is. <laughs> Almost eight o'clock your time, nine o'clock my yeah, if time. They're right? watching, if they're watching instead of just <laughs> yeah. listening, yeah, they know exactly what time it is. Uh, no, no, but but to your point, right? Like something like that, right? If if people remember the the Noah movie that came out, mm -hmm. I mean, what it was probably ten years ago now oh, at this point, oh, or more, yeah. Uh, and and the Nephilim were these rock monsters, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, this creative understanding of attempting to understand a term that is intentionally not given the context necessary to understand the term because it was never the point to begin with. Yeah. We right? don't, we don't even translate it. We transliterate it. Nothing. Right. We don't even know what it is, whatever the, this word, like the, there's debate about even how, what, what is the root of the word um, to even attempt a, a sense, but. Yeah. But it's it's interesting because we do we we in the same sense maybe putting it this way in the same sense that we watch we go and watch CIA movies right or spy movies and all of a sudden our minds are primed for you know these double crosses and backstabs and like mm. aha these big there's this big secret thing happening behind it in the same way we kind of sometimes approach scripture as if it is some kind of spy novel that if we just kind of figured out the plot twist early mm. enough, like we won't be, we can, we can master the thing we can master. So and a film, if I can just figure that out, I'll really understand the whole background to ancient civilizations, understanding of gods and goddesses and these council of the gods and yada, mm. yada. Which, again, to your point, Rick, like some of those things, this idea of like the council of the God is not new to Old yeah, Testament it's not new among scholars, yeah. Scholars, right? Like this. Now, when, when your, you know, person in the pew, and maybe you can explain even just that. So, since people who are going to listening aren't going to know what that is, uh, your person in the pew is they're, they're going to hear about this, like, what do you mean the council of the gods? And what are you talking about in this, you know, you've known me by this name, but now you know me by this name without correcting the name, right? Like in, in terms of Yahweh and like they hear it and all of a sudden, like they've got one of two things, either I'm just going to ignore that because that is just wild. And I don't know what to do with that because I've always been taught monotheism. There's only one God anything anything that would kind of indicate that there was ever a discussion otherwise within the hebrew people or the jewish people and now christian people is just you know just get it out of here it's not right 
or the sometimes the complete opposite of that happens where all of a sudden they just dive in and now all of a sudden this weird world comes up and it just misses the point altogether right yeah. like it just kind of goes wild and people start thinking about you know it's it's the integration of think about like the disney movie hercules and all these gods <laughs> right like the the yeah. greek understanding of the gods that starts getting imported because that's the context or the framing that we in the 21st and 20th century can really wrap our minds around. So I don't know, maybe explain that a little bit. So people are not like, what are they talking about? Council of the gods and the feeling and <laughs> so on and so forth. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a whole other podcast altogether. It is. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll just give the teaser for it. Then, <laughs> the the introduction to it. <laughs> yeah. The, the idea is the worldview and the expectations, the, the thinking of ancient Israel was not that there were no other gods, but that no other gods compared to Yahweh. Yeah. Right. He was a God above all gods, as if all of the gods were nothing. Right. They're, they're still treated, recognized, so forth. Um, the council of the gods or the divine council or the sons of God, uh, it's, it is complicated. We're not really sure always what the um, Old Testament texts that refer to it are talking about. What constitutes that group? I don't know. Um, the Bible's not intent on that. Um, but this is this is like so. You were you were discussing the idea of mystery that drives it all, right? Um, the mystery to solve. I want to find the secrets. Um, instead of it's, you know, to to borrow language from Paul, he talks about mystery, in part dealing with folks who are also concerned about hidden things. Yeah, secret knowledge. Um, not unlike what we're talking about here, secret knowledge about divine beings. In fact, he even talks about, you know, hey, don't be debating these things. Um, right. But uh, he points people to the mystery of what God has chosen to do in making himself known in setting things to rights through the man Jesus, right? Through through the giving of this one, the coming of this one. So that that becomes the mystery we're invited into um, not a mystery just to solve. It's a mystery to drive us, to draw us in, um, to capture our imaginations and fill our thoughts. Yeah. Right? Um, rather than, oh, I got to figure out the secret key, and now I'm in. Yeah. We still treat Jesus that way. Oh, I find the secret key, now I'm on the inside. But it's it's just funny. So we 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 have actually shifted the mystery from what the mystery ought to be about and made it about other things right? that become yeah. a practice of missing the point. <laughs> yeah. And, and we're all good at having the practice of missing the point. Theologians, biblical scholars alike, we very often go to, but we're not the only ones, right? Like it, there's this constant drawing back to what is the actual point that we all, pastors, people in the pew, people mm -hmm. who are outside of it, uh, do. That's why I do like Gregory of Nyssa and this going into darkness as a good thing. It's a going into the mystery and learning how much we can't know and finding peace in these things while focusing on the mystery of God, right? Versus going into a space where we have to figure out the mystery in order to have the meaning. Yeah. Right? Yeah, because in some ways we we treated mystery like something we need to master. Yeah, 
and that that immediately abuses the very form of mystery we're invited to yeah it's, it's yeah. not about mastering um it is about entering into and so the, these other mysteries they become hidden things that almost i like gain a power by having this knowledge right right yeah and a special insight that's kind of like back to my Harry Potter point that you completely froze and just smiled at me the entire time. <laughs> I'm going right? to try and breeze again just for that. Yeah, thank you. Like, right, like it is, it is the, the, we find the hidden phrase or the hidden prayer or the hidden thing that all of a sudden gives us the power for something else that we didn't have. What, how is that anything different than the 90s pushback against J.K. Rowling? <laughs> because she yeah. made up some Latin sounding, sometimes with real Latin, sometimes with not phrases and said, this is a, you know, spell. They are ridiculous right? uh, little phrases. As as someone who has actually studied um, ancient and modern incantations, uh, magic, um, just as part of my study of religious practices, uh, man, uh, J.K. Rowling's work is actually hilarious. Um, it's words like get up or stand or stop or <laughs> drop. And I'm like, okay, that's not actually, there is no system in the world that has ever used anything like that. It's um, just using Latin words and yeah, it, people it are sounds, enamored. Oh, yeah. The yeah. foreign sounds amazing. Um, I, I was thinking... <laughs> This is going to be ridiculous. You probably don't want this on your podcast. There, my wife has I mean, this little picture whatever. in our in our bathroom, right by the toilet, and I think about it every time I'm there. Uh, of it's it's a French picture of some male being flown, and it has male. French words that oh, are just male. like air Not mail. a male, but like yeah, mail, like mail, okay. mail, like a package of mail, and it's like you know it, it uses French words for postage airmail huh but i always look at it and i'm like oh wow that is so cool i'm like if it was in english i'd be like that is so stupid <laughs> it's, it's like why do i have a picture of a package and airmail like it doesn't make sense <laughs> right but you make it foreign and there's a mystery suddenly yeah uh, something magical right and actuality there's not it's just a uh, just another word yeah, the French person like, using your bathroom like is like, like what is wrong with languages, you? Right? Yeah, people like that because there's something magical, or you know, like wow, this is very moving. It's in a, some foreign language, likely that the person doesn't speak, doesn't even and, understand. And also because their tattoo that in the foreign language they thought meant courage just means mm. I'm a dumb person. Yeah, but it doesn't matter because they can say, look, this means. Right. It's that back to that symbol thing, right? Like mm -hmm. it becomes more of a symbol about mm -hmm. something versus what it actually um, is. Okay. Yeah. A few minutes remaining. I did say at the top of this and circling back, we would talk a little bit about translations. Mm. And the reason why I said we would talk a little bit about translations in, in the midst of all this, right? Like when we talk about numerology, we, we do talk about kind of the translations, just like you pointed out earlier, mm -hmm. right? In Christian culture nomenclature and I still do it even though I know it's not the thing but that's just because it's so embedded in us when we say something like revelation and we talk about 666 instead of actually saying 666 which is the term that's we the actual just, number yeah. we just say 666 because it's kind of built into this you know dispensational eschatological vision of the yeah. antichrist that's not even named or not even the words that I even use in revelation right so Translations. 
we we've had some recent issues and i say recent it's actually been a little bit ago that there was the whole passion translation debacle it was removed from some some spaces because it was just wildly kind of translating things in a philosophical way by the person because it was the person's ideological bend but it's not the only one right like there was the whole ESV thing a few years ago where Crossway said, we're not going to be updating the, the ESV anymore. We have it. It is what it is. Unless there's some kind of major thing, we're not going to be tweaking the language, uh, which had so much pushback by people in academic circles and other circles that they kind of came back and said, okay, all right, yes, we will keep working. We, on we it, will right? keep working on it. Yeah. Right. So, but a lot of people don't understand that about translations, right? They can see that the passion translation being removed because it, it's got some major issues uh, that aren't being addressed, right? Mm -hmm. Or philosophically, those are the major issues that the person, the one translator wants, right? Mm -hmm. You can see the ESV on the other side saying, no, no, we've got it. We're not going to be tweaking it. When someone goes to pick up a translation, help them understand, right? How does this affect everything for us? How does it affect our understanding of 666? Or how does it affect the way that we are looking at things or being affected by the narrative of Scripture? Uh, and how we're also being affected by the ideologies of the translators. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All translations are the perspective of the translator, whether it's a committee or individual or otherwise. Um, some... Some are just freer styling and some, so again, the, the, there's, there's particular language used for, for translations. We tend to, in the popular world, just default to paraphrase. Oh, that's not really a translation. So then we write it off. Well, that is a translation. It's a mm. paraphrased translation um, versus, you know, whether someone says, well, like, well, the more formal word is formal equivalence where you try and keep the shape and form and even order of the original language as close as possible. Something right. like the older NASB did, the 1977-95 updates. Um, of course, they're doing a totally new thing um, that becomes much closer to dynamic equivalence, um, where you're freer with the order of words. You're not as consistent in just translating one original word as one English word. You allow context to determine that. Um, yeah, so we, we have people at the popular level say, I prefer a literal translation. There's right. no such thing as a literal translation. Right. That's not actually a, it's not actually a thing. Um, but that is the, the language we default to. Um, usually by that, people are just meaning something that is seems closer to the original as far as the order and singular words but that doesn't mean it properly represents the original the meaning right right yeah. it's not it's not necessarily representing the meaning so the the meaning belongs to multitudes of contexts not just individual words um, but the uses of words and their clauses phrases sentences paragraphs the book the the collection of books known as the bible so yeah it's kind of like as an analogy of some sense, or maybe just like a crossover. It's kind of like people who often throw out that kind of claim, well, I'm biblical, or mm -hmm. my reading is biblical. Mm -hmm. And what they're not saying is, uh, 
you know, they're not saying, well, what I've done is I've taken this and I've read it and I've taken all these commentaries and I've distilled it and I've got this kind of vision of it that helps me understand the biblical text. It's really just shorthand for saying, I'm correct. Hmm, right. right? When, when people just say, well, I'm biblical, you, you're not, right? No. Or my reading's biblical, yours isn't. Yeah. And it's kind of the same when, when a lot of times people use that, I read a literal translation. What they're really trying to say is, well, I believe that my translation is a better translation because mm. it is more correct, which isn't necessarily the case at all. Yeah. What, what, what would we even mean by correct, right? What do we compare it to for correctness? Um, yeah, what, that's what, the point, right? So what do you compare folks, it to? Folks right? just don't ask, what is the translation trying to do? And did it do it well? So what was it trying to do and did it do it well? Um, so, you know, you had a, so the message by Eugene Peterson that came out and I used to tease students for a while, less and less even are aware of the message, right? That I was know. The, ooh, that was crazy to me. I, I used to say, well, little MSG never hurt anyone. <laughs> um, but like... Eugene Peterson did that project as a passion project as a pastor of a congregation for his congregation. It's picked up by publishers and marketed as if intended for a wider audience, including even church usage. Well, Peterson never intended it as a church Bible. So the function of a, a, a scripture for public reading, for uh, preaching, he never intended it for that. It was intended for devotional purpose. Yeah. For a congregation, right? Um, and one, once you start using something outside of its context, suddenly you go, oh, that's terrible. Well, is it terrible? It's terrible for how you're using it. Not necessarily mm. terrible for what it was intended for. Yeah. Right. So, so including, so I know a lot of folks, they really love, for instance, again, the New American Standard. Bible, um, the the older um, versions or what have you, um, they love it because they say, "Oh, it's more literal." Well, it's more wooden. I hate it for public reading. Right. Um, I, I don't find it actually very helpful at all, or even for preaching. It's it's not very um, understandable as far as fluid English, mm -hmm. um, easily comprehended English. But it's amazing for backward translating back into Hebrew, Aramaic, back into Greek. Uh, it's almost the easiest translation in English to backward translate from, because once you learn what words are represented by their English counterpart that NASB has chosen, it's super easy. Yeah. You can begin to do that. So it's helpful for a student who's learning the languages. For that instance, like having a, one of those Bibles that here's the Hebrew, yeah. here's the NASB, right. and you can compare, compare them as you're going, right? Yeah, but it is it is not necessarily... Uh, a good choice for congregational use. Um, that, that's one thing um, for for all the issues I know folks have had with with like RSV, NRSV, and now NRSV. Um, what is it? NRSVU, uh, UE, updated edition. I can't remember no. the acronym. This is a new acronym. Um, uh, being being um, mainline church connected. Right? Yeah. Those who don't really believe in the Bible, well, they do really believe in the Bible. That's why they're invested in it. Um, they believe it differently, but they they're not biblical. It. Yeah, but one of the th yeah one of the things that they've tr been trying to do is they they want a, a text for public use, right? Yeah. Um, even the NIV, the NIV was written with the intent of public use. 
as opposed to the New Living Translation or the earlier Living Letters, that was intended devotional. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, that's that's exactly what I would I often tell students when they're trying to understand, or if I have a student who particularly is like the, the who still knows the message. Oh, that's a terrible. I go. I suggest the message to nearly any person who is just coming into the faith, right? Because they might actually be able to read it and understand it, where if I give them an NRSV or NASB, they're going to read it, and it's going to be—it's already a hard book to read. Let's not make it harder by having such wooden language that you just sit there and scratch your head at versus what Eugene Peterson was trying to do and putting it in plain language for devotional reading for an, an ease of grasping the uh, the text, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's maddening when we miss this kind of reality of text. Translations are built for contexts. Mm-hmm. I like how you kind of put that, right? Yeah. Because each one of them have a reason for existing. They have a reason just like, for existing. Yeah. It's going to sound a we- like a weird analogy, but every business has a mission, right? Like, here's our mission. I would have used the church, but I've never seen a church have a different, you know, we lead to, a, to we exist to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Like, just look up a church and that's probably their mission, right? But businesses all have different, this is what we do and who we do it for, mm-hmm. right? And in other businesses, this is what we do and who we do it for. And translations work in such a similar way yeah. that we've missed it, right? Um, and we can have quibbles over any number of specific things they do, whether with pronouns or, you know, uh, maybe we have pet verses we think need to be translated a particular way or yep. there's, there's all sorts of things. Um, but I, I would rather judge things based on what they're intending to do. And yeah. if they do that well, and at least I'm hearing them out, even if I disagree with, with why they did this, I at least understand what was their use, what's their function. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Hey, last few minutes. I mm-hmm. ask you this every time, <laughs> or some similar kind yeah. of version of this. Give me something new. You've been studying. You've been diving deep in. You're finding something, and you're just like, "Holy cow!" <laughs> something new diving in. Well, I've, I've been spending a bit of time in disability studies. Yeah, uh, I think that's been something new since the last time we, okay. we talked. So some good old um, Amos Young and others. Yeah, Amos Young and others. Um, and I'm I'm doing work. Started a project on. Um, I'm, I'm shifting gears into Ezekiel. I've got several years mapped out of writing in Ezekiel um, articles and and papers. Um, but this first one, thinking about um, how the Spirit disabled uh, Ezekiel as huh. as part of his historical message. And it's it's just been striking me um, how how that functions, including with his title, the 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 favorite moniker he gets called by, "Son of Man." He, like Yahweh addresses him that way constantly, "Son of Man." Um, translators, uh, some like uh, Dan Block, but even like the the um, contemporary English Bible prefer to use instead of "Son of Man," they say "Human Being." Huh. Um, mm, I don't like which that. Which is you know it, it it reminds one of creatureliness. Like we're, right. we're so accustomed to son of man, but literally that is what it means. Yeah. It just means human, human. Yeah. Listen up human. Um, so while he is the fully spirited <laughs> prophet who almost loses his identity 
caught up by the spirit, much much like the th- the the mobile throne in in Ezekiel one and the four living creatures and all this. He is caught. He's just dominated by the spirit, almost to lose his identity, but he is constantly humanized in a way that is a spirit-filled humanized, but uh, disabling humanized. Hmm. Um, so I, I'm not even sure what to do with it. I'm still working on it. Um, and, and how are we meant to hear this? How was the, what was the rhetorical intent yeah. for Israel? All right, so. Well, next season, season six, when I inevitably <laughs> text you and say, hey, what are you doing tomorrow night at, oh, I don't know, eight o'clock? Um, yeah. Then we'll bring that back up. All right, and we'll, and we'll see where you've where that's taken you. Uh, kind of a end of the podcast, just kind of fun little snippet. We were talking a little bit about that um, Bible code thing, right? Mm, yeah. So in the '90s, I had access to it at one point, and as a kid, I was like, "I'm gonna write in my full name." Yeah, what'd you find? Right. Uh-huh. Well, apparently, I am the Valley of Dry Bones in Ezekiel. Oh, yes. And so that was like my first foray into like, I'm screwed. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I didn't actually know what the passage meant or anything. All I knew is yeah. it was the Valley of Dry Bones. And in the Bible code, I could find my name in the Valley of Dry Bones. So I just uh-huh. thought, nah, I'm never going to get saved. Like, Well, so I could ask you, can these bones live, Aaron? Well, I've and done it for 35 only, years since. Only you so. know, Yahweh, and then prophesy to these bones, right? Okay, they can live. Well, thank you for reaffirming my existence. I do appreciate yeah, you're that. Welcome. You're taking away my angst of the 10-year-old me. So <laughs> Now, if you can help me get over the uh, angst that was caused in all kids in the 90s about the rapture. Oh, man. Um and the PTSD that we all still kind of feel a little bit from that time period from the church. A little jumpy every time I come home. Nobody's here and they should be. Yeah. And I shouldn't be, but I am. Yeah, right? I mean, one of the most terrifying... Okay, this is a whole other thing. One of the most terrifying experiences of my human life, my human being, son of man life, was waking up late on a Saturday and my parents were gone. All of my siblings were gone. Their cell phones. We only had one cell phone at that point. Still on the counter. Cars were still at the freaking house. I mean, I was literally outside, Rick, running and screaming for my parents. Was I wish we'd all been ready playing gently in the background. Planes were falling out of the sky because their pilots apparently (laughs) got raptured, right? Like clothes were just strewn all over the street as bodies were gone. Yeah, and and here all I mean we 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 lived in the middle of the woods, so I would have never known, right? And sure enough, after screaming and thinking, okay, well, how do I, you know, now the whole left behind thing stuck in my head. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go to the woods. I'm going to dig myself a big pit, and I'm going to go live there so no one can find me, right? Um, Yeah, my parents just start walking up from the woods because they decided to take the kids on a hike, and I just decided to sleep in. (laughs) Yeah, and then here I am terrified, and they're like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, nothing. I'm fine, right? <laughs> Everything's Nothing okay now. I'm an altar. <laughs> uh, Rick, well, thank you, my friend. Hey, any new publications, any new works people can pick up if they're interested? No, I mean, I've got not, nothing that uh, nothing that has dropped. I've got a couple projects that, well, maybe next time I'm on, they should be out. I should have a couple more books out. So they're on a couple the- more books. 
here I am just turning in the one. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're edited volumes. So that's, that's a different type of, of project. And um, I, yeah, I'm still shopping around for my next monograph where I want to push. So we'll see. Are you and I shopping at the same place? I doubt it. Oh, okay. Good. <laughs> I'm glad. Less competition. Woo. Yeah, that's right. They would, they would choose you over mine every day. So, uh, mm -hmm. Rick, thanks for, for joining me, man. And again, I'll see you in season six. <laughs> oh, right.